Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Hey everyone, welcome to the Content Experience Podcast. This is Connex, but this is an episode that you'll tune into and you'll be like, all right, what are Randy and Anna actually up to? So we don't like to lie to you. What happened was we were scheduled to record our podcast. Our guests couldn't make it. So what do you do? You make, what is it? What do we make, Anna? Like something, lemons out of lemon, lemonade out of lemons. There you go. We're making lemonade out of lemons on this episode. We don't want to reverse engineer lemonade into lemons. No, we do not. Although that'd be interesting. So, so we were trying to think of an idea and what we came up with for anyone who watches, there's a show called Pardon the Interruption and you don't have to know sports to know, but it's basically quick fire topics that have a timer and there's only so much time you can discuss that topic. So Anna and I went back and forth to come up with our 10 topics. Yeah. I don't have the topics. It's okay. We don't need to have the topics because we are going to talk about them in this episode. Right. Oh, so we're going to create suspense. Yes. Right. Okay. I, I, I like it. Okay. So we're... It's a curiosity gap. A curiosity gap. I, I lost my notes when we refreshed our podcast to record this intro, but the 10 phrases that we came up with are a ton of fun. We hit on topics like Instagram. We hit on topics like content marketing, inbound ABM. There's so many cool ideas that come up. And we even somehow talk about Super Bowl commercials amongst all that. Yeah, it's awesome. We basically just throw out 10 buzzwords over the course of the next 20 minutes. And Randy and I just go back and forth on our thoughts on them. And um, definitely, if you guys out there have any buzzwords you want us to, to take on next, just ping them our way. We're happy to do this again. Okay, so here's how the format works. We, we line up a topic and then there's a timer that goes for two minutes. So we, we even if you're bored of the topic that we're going to hit on, you only have to put up with us for two minutes and then you've got an, another amazing topic to follow. All right, so we're going to roll it right from here. This is Connex PTI Experience. All right, Randy, start the timer because here is topic number one. All right, I'm ready. Instagram TV, is it going to change the way that we view video online again forever? Oh, man. I mean, the first question is, where is there room on the Instagram app for Instagram TV? I mean, I, I used to love the purity of Instagram, right? Just all of our latest photos. And then we introduced stories and had to figure out where to find those buttons. And now we have this other button called TV. So that's the first challenge. But the bigger challenge to me is, does it belong there, right? As a brand, do I want people staying on Instagram for 20 minutes to watch a video, which is really what Instagram TV is. It's these longer form pieces of content, like a webinar that we can post there, like a how-to video, or do we want to use shorter snippet content on our Instagram feed, on our stories to draw people to our site? I don't know. What do you think, Anna? You know what? I kind of agree. My, I'm still, the jury's still out on this one for me. I'm not quite sure. I still need to look around at it a little bit more. I still need to play around with it a bit. But you know what I wish they would have done instead of um, IGTV first, Randy, is a way to share content easily. 
why is it literally the only network where it's just impossible to share things within the app natively? That is what's frustrating. Right. You're right. You have to like, you have to at someone to get them to see it. And, right. and to be honest, you know, the other day, Jay actually added me on a story that I'm pretty sure was tied to the talk triggers book, yes. but I had such a busy day. By the time I got to it the next day, it had disappeared. It's just like Jay sent you a story. Right. The story was gone. Yeah. I'm just curious sort of like what their product roadmap looks like because everything I'm hearing from everybody is like, wait, we still can't share. To me, I'm, I'm really tempted though. I'm, I'm tempted for us to, to take some of the content that we have, put it on Instagram TV and see if we can actually start to get some engagement there. But the real key there is going to be, as I said earlier, how do we actually bring people back to our site if they engage in that one piece? Otherwise, they're just going to someone else's content next. True. I guess on the flip side, was that the timer? That's the timer. I don't know. We got to get a louder timer going here, but that that was timer number one. So let's let's jump to the second topic. All right. The timer's on. The second topic is to gate or not to gate your content. You're on, Anna. Oh, God, I'd hate to go with a wishy-washy answer here, but it depends. It depends on how valuable that piece of content is, right? You can't be asking for somebody's email address, their information, if the content you're going to provide isn't worth it to them. So I think this is a more of a measure of worth um, in terms of the content to the person who wants to give up their information. I don't know, Randy, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it depends on stage of the funnel. So again, another, it depends. Uh, but even within that, I know that there's people who have different perspectives and HubSpot is really taking this approach. If you go to their you know resource center, I think they call it, it's like called their free marketing resource center, which in theory suggests that it's free content. You know, to me, what we try and do is we make sure that we don't lock someone into give us your information or you're gone, right? You know, I, I think the average conversion rate on a landing page, last I checked, 2.35%. So if we're, if we're saying to someone, okay, fill out my form or leave me, that means we're chasing away like 97 plus percent of people. That to me is, is pretty scary and not something that a lot of us as marketers can afford to do given how much we're spending to pull people in. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what? I'm just going to say it right now. I'm going to put a stake in the ground. Way too much non-valuable content is gated, in my opinion. There is just way too much that we think is valuable that our users don't think is valuable back. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, this this is really something that we aim to solve here at Uberflip. Um, and, and as a result, we use more of like a passive gate uh, that someone can opt in or opt out of doing, but we also give them that selection of other pieces of content that they can opt into on the fly. So kind of tricky there, but here comes our timer. There you go. I got it louder this time. And now we are on timer yet again for another two minutes. You want to hit me this time? Sure. All right, let's do it. So here is topic number three, Randy. This is right up your alley with Uberflip. Get that timer ready. This is for nomenclature and terminology. So blog versus content hub versus resource center. What are your thoughts? I hate this debate. I, I actually hate this debate because I, I don't know the right answer. And we are struggling with this ourselves. I think you know, the, the first question there is, where are we sending people to? And is this something that someone's going to search on our site? Or is it something that we're linking people to from our marketing campaigns? One of the things, and I know you hate this, Anna, is when someone just calls it their blog, I think a lot of us from our old school mentality is just associate a blog is going to be long form content. 
or we segment our blog with long-form content from all of our other really valuable assets like webinars or podcasts like this one. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, actually. I think just going with the generic default blog is kind of a big pet peeve of mine because I think it has a tendency, at least from my experience in working with clients, it has a tendency to just sort of become this massive junk drawer of long-form content. And I think that, you know, part of naming a resource center or naming a content hub or naming a blog even is part of the strategy. And it really helps you set this is sort of the goal. This is what the expectations are being set from the name before people even click. And this is what they know they can expect. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get when I just click on a blog. Right. But the question then is, should you pick a name like you're saying, like something really cute and clever, perhaps even, you know, companies, I, I can't remember what Intercom calls theirs, but they have a great name for their learning resource center location? Or do we want something that someone's going to know, this is where I go on your website to learn more, right? Like this is where I go to do so. So it's kind of that question, like, is this an internal name or is this an external name, if you will? I love cute and clever all day long, but I will always default to clarity. Um, and, and I believe that's our timer. Oh. All right. So, so let's hit it again for two more minutes. I'm going to hit you this time with Instagram influencers. We keep going back to Instagram here. I know. Poor Instagram. They're getting beat up today. All right. What do you think? Do, do you think that there's value, first of all, in an Instagram influencer? Maybe you can make sure we understand what that actually means. Sure. So typically, when we talk about Instagram influencers, it's people who leverage their popularity on Instagram or any social network, really. Let's just take influencers in general. But I think Instagram is really the key here because it's this rise of, of you know, Instagram influencers happening right now. But it's people who leverage sort of their following to promote products and services and things like that. And I think, yes, to a certain extent, it's really valuable. I think when it's done in genuine and authentic ways, it's great. But then sometimes you see things that are just sort of like blatant ads and it's kind of creepy, it's kind of smarmy. And that to me is just the wrong direction to go. And that's kind of, you know, I think this rise has kind of a bubble to it. And I think it's that direction that's going to burst that bubble. So I'm going to speak as a parent on this one. Okay, I've got three kids, as some people know, 11, 9, and 7. And they literally sit there and watch these influencers unpackaged toys and things like that. Now I'm shifting off Instagram to like YouTube. It's so weird and they are so into it. They'll watch like, there's this kid called Ryan, like his, his I have a kid named Ryan ironically, but the, not my kid. I think it's called Ryan's Toy Room. Anyone who has a kid, you, you may have watched this. As I say to my kids, this is making you stupider. Like this is not helping you in any way. And and my wife sometimes challenges me on it because she's like, what's, what's the difference in them watching, you know, a TV show. And I'm like, a TV show teaches us storytelling. It teaches us story arc. You know, there's value in my mind in learning to tell stories versus sitting there and watching a kid unpack something. But to your point, that's influencing my kids in terms of what they buy. So they're valuable. I think the question is ultimately going to be quality longer term. There you go. There's that timer again. Oh, that's our, that's our timer. All right. We got time for one more before we take a break here. Uh, I got to reset the timer here. Okay, here we go. And the, the last one. Yeah, hit me, hit me. Okay. So get that timer ready because here again, right up your alley. What are your thoughts on content experience managers as an actual title and a position within a company? Okay, so I'm I'm hugely biased here. Let's start with that. Let me let me kind of get that out of the way by say I think that 
the role is really important because here's, and let me explain why the problem that a lot of us have is that we look to a content marketer to do more than is reasonable, right? And that's not to take anything away from how bright a content marketer is. I think our, the content marketers and organizations are some of the most undervalued people in those organizations, but it's because they get the finger pointed at them for aspects that we shouldn't expect them to be able to do, or, you know, both from a, a skill set and from a capacity that they can undertake at any one time, right? A lot of people who are in content marketing roles are there because they're great writers. They're great storytellers. They know how to build a bond with the personas that we're trying to connect with. To me, content experience goes in terms of what do we do with all that content that those people can, can create? How do we put in front of people in a way that tells more of, of a flow? So it's, it's the people who are helping to build the buyer journey that really need to be content experience managers. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I oftentimes look at the content experience manager role, even the way you're describing it, as sort of the content side of user experience. And it's really looking at connections and it's looking at the holistic picture and it's not so much focused on just the words, but how is this entire thing fitting together and what is this path and this journey through content? Because that is something that we really don't talk about enough. It's true. It's true. I mean, a lot of us are just kind of looking throughout our org and hoping people will step up, hoping demand gen will step up, hoping digital marketers will step up, you know, hoping the content marketer does more than they actually can. Oh, there we go. That's the timer. The only thing I've learned so far in this first half is that Apple's timer kind of sucks. It's really non-intuitive. Like all of the alarm functions in this app could use a major upgrade in iOS 13, I guess I hope. Do you think maybe their content experience manager should take a look at that and work at their UX and UI to maybe make that better? Exactly. Anyways, we got five more up, Anna, but we're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and we'll keep digging in to pardon the interruption marketing style. So if you're a marketer like me, you're deep in the midst of planning for 2019. That's right. What What is your strategy going to be for the new year? And for many of us, we need to take a look and make data-driven decisions. That's where ICUC can help when you're trying to figure out your 2019 marketing strategy. ICUC can develop reports using social media, strategic insights to give you deep understanding of your audience, marketing competitors, so you can empower your marketing strategy to achieve the best results in this coming year from a targeting perspective, reach, engagement, any way you're looking to retain customers at the end of the day. Check out icuc.social slash plan 2019. That's plan 2019 to get started. Okay, we're back here on the Connex podcast. Bit of a different format this week. We'd love to hear if you're enjoying it. You know, let us know, give us some feedback. And we have time for our next five two-minute drills. I'm going to hit you with the next one. Anna, are you ready? I'm going to start the timer. Here we go. Okay, we are on the timer. And the topic here is marketing to millennials. Nothing really makes me angrier than the entire topic of millennials and the stereotypes and the categories that they fit into or that people are trying to place them in. Um, it's really frustrating. If you literally have identified millennials as your target audience, you have identified literally every adult from the age of about 35, 36 down to about 22. Again, going back to the adage that you can't be everything to everyone, don't just target millennials. And also, it's not like millennials are this weird lab-grown creature that nobody knows what to do with. We kind of treat them like that. Um, I, I'm probably passionate about this because I fit into the millennial category. 
Um, and I can just say, like, don't target an entire generation of people. Like, it's just not the way to go in general. I don't know, though, Randy, but, you know, I mean, there could be a different perspective. Listen, you're definitely winning over a large part of the uh, team at Uberflip with what you're saying. I mean, I, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells on this topic because we have a lot of millennials who work here. And for sure, if I say something, you know, that's interpreted the wrong way, someone will quit, God forbid. Like, you know, it's, but, but I think that's also some of the mindset for some of us who aren't part of millennials is trying to figure out what's important to them and what's not right? Because there are a lot of stereotypes out there. But as you said, there's a lot of things that we that we do see eye to eye on. And, um, you know, as, as far as marketing goes, I think when you get into the execution of marketing, I think we all understand that it's about delivering, you know, a more personalized experience. And as a result, like millennials buy into that too. They understand the importance of personalization. They're growing, they've grown up in a very different era than the rest of us in terms of, you know, solutions like Netflix and Spotify that we use that personalize our experience. So when we market to millennials, I think more than ever, we have to think about what type of experience do they expect. And as individuals as well. Oh, I got it in before the timer. There you go. Just in time. Just in time. All right. Uh, we got we got the next one. I'm starting the timer. I think it's your turn to hit me. All right, Randy, you ready for this? This is kind of a big one. All right, let's do it. This is good. Okay. All right, let's do it. All right. Your thoughts on Super Bowl commercials. Oh, okay. So this one's actually funny. So first of all, when I was a kid, I wanted to do Super Bowl commercials. That's what marketing meant to me. Sure. I've come a long way because now I'm in the B2B world. But here's my question to you. I'm going to, we'll go back and forth on this one. So I, I was, I was out with a marketer recently. They're in the B2B space, but it crosses into the B2C. So I'm not going to say who they are, but they said their goal on their marketing team is to grow into scale to the point where a Super Bowl commercial makes sense. And, and the answer was like, yes, it's a lot of money, but it's only a million dollars or so. I don't know what the actual number is. Maybe it's five. But and, and I think it was good in terms of like, we want to be so big that we can justify reaching that audience. But it comes back to our other conversation. Like, is there more personalized ways that we can interact with people these days versus just this generic message that's going to go to the whole world? Yeah, no, I, I I don't disagree with that that latter sentiment. I think it's, you know, Super Bowl commercials are fun and funny and people like to watch them, but do they actually result in action? So for example, like the big Super Bowl commercial this year was Tide Pods, right? Or being like Tide Clean, like it was all those parody ones, you know, where it would like start as something and then end up as a Tide commercial. And it's like, I thought it was hilarious. I watched it a couple of times. I didn't go out and buy Tide. You know, so it's like, what ultimately at the end of the day is that Super Bowl commercial serving you? Is it just for branding? Then fantastic. If you want people to actually take action, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, listen, building a brand is still really important. And, and that's the question, though. Should we be striving to the point where we can do a Super Bowl commercial because we're so big that our brand transcends? Or should we embrace staying more lean longer and more personalized and meaningful well we're not going to get the answer because the timer just hit us all right up next uh this would be you we i'm going to hit you with a debate that i live in in my world all day long um should marketers be focused more on inbound marketing or account-based marketing let me ask you a question randy what what would you prefer? Because I'm real curious because we talk about this a lot on the podcast and I know that you are for both of them. Which one do you do? I'm going to do the same thing back to you. Question with a question. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll take this one on. I, I 
So, so first off, I, I think it's it, it's a little risky to think of one existing without the other, right? You know, the, the idea that we don't need inbound if we have a strong ABM approach, that's, that's a really tricky mindset because as we just came off the Super Bowl commercial, it's this idea that we have to build a brand out there, right? Now, we don't have to do a Super Bowl commercial to do so, but it's going to be a lot easier for you to go outbound and to engage with these accounts if there's some awareness and intrigue in the space that you're in or the offering that you have as a whole. So I, th- what I like to think um, and, and to answer you, what do we do here? We try and take more of an aggressive ABM approach with accounts that have had a bit of an inbound interest, right? So say, say someone from, you know, from, you know, Dell contacts us and signs up for a webinar. We'll look at that and we'll now start to take more of an account-based approach. Even if they haven't necessarily hit the traditional lead scoring metrics that we need, we'll start to be more aggressive to get them there on more of a personalized account type of approach. I could see that. I like that. I think also, too, there's still a lot of confusion about what ABM really does and what sort of the benefits are of doing that sort of wider net as opposed to very individual style marketing. But ABM, ABM can still be semi-individual. I mean, it's, you know. It's true. It's true. Okay. And that is the timer. But I, I instead of you hitting me again, because you kind of threw that one back at me, I'm going to throw this one at you because I know, I, know you're, I know you're passionate about this, which is storytelling. So you got two minutes to tell me, how is storytelling evolving? Like, is, is it any different now than, I don't know, Cinderella? Ooh, that, ooh, I like that parallel. I think it depends on sort of the purpose of your storytelling. Again, you know, going back to sort of, are we telling a story just to tell a story from a branding perspective? Or are we telling a story because we want something to happen with it? I think no matter what, storytelling is always valuable, but I think the key to it is really making sure it's a compelling story. A lot of times, you know, you'll see some things out there that it's an attempt to tell a story, but maybe it's just not a differentiator. Um, and I think it depends on what term it's sort of used in. Storytelling is such a broad, wide, jargony term now. What I really love about storytelling is it's it's not just sort of, I don't consider it to be that ultimate big picture like branding story. I feel like it 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 should be involved in every single thing you do. Like even a blog post should have a beautiful story to it and something that people flow through and read and has a beautiful beginning, middle and end. Like I think it's everything. But I don't know. What about you, Randy? Yeah, so you know, I'll kind of use someone else's thoughts here, which is I think it I think it was before I saw him present in person that we had Andrew Davis uh, on on the podcast, and and he talked a little bit about uh, the curiosity gap, and and I was kind of understanding his point there, um, but then I actually saw him do his keynote. I saw him do it twice, one at Connex, uh, and then I saw him do it again at CMI, and he's, he's just so good. You can like watch that episode over and over, but. The way he talks about telling that story and he compares it just to creating more interest, more intrigue, you know, it's, it's, it's that anticipation of American Idol at the end or, you know, the, the voice or whatever it is. It's like, let me take you to commercial until you know. And I think more than ever, we need to build suspense. That's always been part of story arc, but more than ever, we've got to build that. Oh, there we go. Look at that. I, I may have visibility of the timer where you don't. So I've got a bit of an advantage to you, but you're, you're, you're doing really well on your, on your times. So I, I think we have time for one more on the clock here. 
I'm going to throw this one to you then. All right, hit me. All right, get that get that ready cuz I can still hear it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was the, that was the old one. We're we're already 152 in counting. Oh no. Okay, voice search. What what do you think? Oh. It's the next big thing apparently, right? Voice search is an interesting one. I, I actually wrote a blog post on this not not so long ago. And and my point was was this with voice search. There there used to be a really funny joke, mildly funny. I don't want to build up expectations, but it was like, where's the best place to hide something? And the answer was page two of Google results, right? Um, As in like, no one goes to page two. If it's not on that first page, then no one's going to see it. Now though, I think that it's result two, right? And, And it's because of voice search. We are now getting to the point where we just expect that first result that we ask for to be the truth. We've basically gotten to the point with Google where we say, I'm feeling lucky. Do you remember that button on Google? Like I'm feeling, that's basically what we're doing every time, right? We're saying like, I'm feeling lucky. Tell me how long it takes to poach eggs, which is about four minutes if you want to do it well. Yeah, have you turned to voice search yourself? You know what? On on occasion when I'm driving, I'll ask Siri to get me something or to text somebody, um, but I haven't adopted it as fully as I could. I think it just... I don't have like many use cases for it yet because I always have my phone on me and I'm, I'm, you know, it's just right there. Um, but I do see, I think the behaviors are interesting, especially the way it's so different to your point about how we search with voice versus how we search within Google versus how we ask people for information. Like those three processes are completely different. And even just the style is just drastically different. It's insane. The behavior patterns behind it. Yeah. I I think, I think it's also going to be a matter of time and trust, right? Like I trust my Google home in terms of accuracy, whereas I don't trust my car to find the phone number of the person I want to (laughs) reach. All right, there we go. We we are out of time. That's like a hard final note there. Um, You know, this was a ton of fun, Anna. I I don't know. Like it's, Full disclosure to everyone listening, our scheduled guest just didn't show. And Anna were like, and I were like, we've got time now. We might as well record something and have some fun with it. So we came up with this idea. We'd love to know what people thought about it. So great ways to let us know. Ping us on LinkedIn, ping us on Twitter. Let us know if this episode's you know more unique, more fun, or just a waste of your time either way. Yeah. And if you have jargony words you'd like us to attack next, feel free to send them our way. Absolutely. You know, this is actually something fun even to think about, you know, doing with your own marketing team, right? Grab 10 words. That's literally what Anna and I did over like a two minute period and, you know, throw them out and do a brainstorm and just get people thinking creatively, get opinions, get people to share. It's a great way to just get your creative juices flowing. Uh, Until next time, this has been another interesting Connex podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you can find the podcast. Leave us feedback. And thank you for tuning in and making this part of your day. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.